6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Timothy, chapters 1 and 2. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Who? No man cometh the Father but by him. A very painful but very important truth. Let's continue with Timothy. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And I love this verse. 1 Timothy 1.12. I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I love that. I love that. There are some ministers that say you're saved as long as you abide in Christ. That terrifies me, if they're right. Because if it depends on me, I'm going to mess it up. I'm grateful that I'm caught in his hand and his father's hand. John 10, verse 20, chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Same idea here. For I know whom I believe that, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I love the little phrase about, you know, if, if, if you can lose your salvation, you got a new name for God. Butterfingers. <laughs> a little irreverent, but gets the point across. He is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Praise God. It's not what you believe, it's in whom you have relied. Salvation is not about doctrine, it's about a person. Who's that person? Your second guess doesn't count, right? Committed, deposited. See, you and I are his debtors. Hold fast the form of the sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. There again, sound words. Again, it's always the word of God that lurks behind each one of these verses. The verbal plenary inspiration of the scripture. Every word is there by supernatural engineering. Every, every detail. When a church or other Christian organization goes liberal, it usually starts with the leader's convictions about weakening of that leader's conviction of the word of God. When a church starts to go liberal, it's because the leader has lost his commitment to the plenary inspiration of God. That good thing which was committed unto the... I might mention something. We have an institute, a think tank, and it has a very simple minimalistic statement of faith, and, and, um, which has what we think are all the essentials, but that's all you need. We get letters from people, gee, we're kind of concerned about this theory or that theory. We have no problem welcoming you because our commitment is the Word of God. If your commitment is the Word of God, those things will sort out. It's that simple. And we're not, 
not here to we're, we're not here to teach a particular theological position. We're here to encourage the students to discover their own. How? By sound hermeneutics, taking the word of God seriously. That is pure. It's precise. Anyway, continue. That good thing which was committed unto thee, kept by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. The Christian life can only be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own strength. If you try to do it, it means you've missed the point. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Philogelus and Hermogenes. He gives the actual names of the people who have been unfaithful to him. I suppose I could do that too, but the list would get too long. Huh? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Now, it says the province of Asia, so you don't get confused because today is the age, we're in the period of the Asian century, but that's far east. The word Asia here refers to the Roman province of Asia, which really technically we would call Asia Minor, which is the uh, field that the area we call Turkey. In biblical terms, it's the districts of Lydia, Mysia, Caria, and Phrygia. And he, on his second ministry journey, he was, uh, it was inappropriate for him. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go there in Acts 16. It wasn't until his third journey that he really gets in there and he spends three years in Ephesus, the capital of Asia, and he evangelized the whole area. So when the Holy Spirit opens the door, that's the time to go. Not before. When he opens it, you move. The seven churches that Jesus writes letters to are all in the province of Asia. Where's, the letter, where's Christ's letter to Jerusalem? Where's his letter to Antioch? No, those aren't in Asia. It's interesting, those, those seven churches were to, ended up typifying the entire history of the church. Moving on, verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me, at some risk to himself, by the way. And the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, that, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Now some do believe that he was, Onesiphorus was arrested and persecuted. Okay, we went to chapter 1, let's go to uh, second chapter of 2 Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? How do you be strong in the grace? How does one be strong? The answer to that lies in Ephesians 6, where twice, not once, twice, Paul admonishes us to put on the whole armor of God, not just a few of your favorite pieces, the whole armor. And uh, he mentions that twice. And if you think that you can live the Christian life through your own committed strength, you're in for a very serious disappointment. Very serious disappointment. Moving on, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So that's his instruction. See, as, as the sons of God, as the new creation in God, you too must be concerned about your father's business. You are now committed to your father's business. Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. All of you are in special forces. You're all part of his, his special operations, if you will. And what, he's what Paul's applying to Timothy here is that you can't carry excess baggage. Baggage that might be all right for others, you can't carry because you are to be a warrior. 
you need to be deadly serious about what you're about. Are you an ambassador for Christ? Are you really serious about being an ambassador for Christ? That's one of the things that Coin Institute's all about, is to try to train serious ambassadors. Not train pastors particularly. There's probably a dozen different, more than a dozen different categories of ministry you might be called to. We don't know what it is. We're just there to covenant with you to accomplish that goal that God has called you to. But to do it seriously. To do it seriously. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. Do you believe that? And focus on it. If a man also, uh, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Strive here means like contending for a game, committed to winning. Winning, though, by the rules. And Paul frequently uses allusions, athletic allusions, from his familiarity with the Olympic and Isthmian games, which are in, in, the, in the Greek area. The only exercise some Christians get, you want to know what kind of exercise most Christians get? Jumping to conclusions, <laughs> running down their friends, sidestepping responsibility, and pushing their luck. Those are the four primary exercises of most Christians. And I hope you're kidding. I mean, I hope you're laughing. Yeah, okay. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. See, a farmer has to work. If you leave a field to itself, it will produce mostly what? Weeds. And Solomon had this in mind when he wrote about the field of a sluggard, which of course gets overrun. And, and, and A pastor deserves to be supported by his ministry. Okay, we need to understand that. And... Uh, Paul continues, consider what I say, the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. The word that is not in the text by that was supplied by the translators. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we, also, we shall also live with him. And there's a number of other, what he calls, faithful sayings, labeled such, in First uh, Timothy and also Titus. He uses that phrase frequently. And it's faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the victory, of course. For if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. I want you to notice there's a very important uh, word in this, uh, in this verse. See, some scholars will point out that not all believers are going to reign with him. So on the base of this verse, it would appear that only those who have suffered with him, if we suffer with him, we also shall reign with him. And that is the key word, if. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. One of the misconceptions that is very prevalent is that everybody is going to end up with the same score on the judgment seat of Christ. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're all going to be before, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we're all going to be equal. No, I don't think so. I think behavior, after, after justification, behavior matters. He continues, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So, God cannot deny himself and he cannot accept as true one who is false. And that's one reason Jesus gave such a scathing denunciation of the religious leaders of their day. He called them hypocrites because they were pretending to be something they're not. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do for lots of reasons. You and I need to be genuine all the way. 
Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words of no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Strive about words. It, 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 the striving about words really means disputing. Disputing. That's one reason I don't believe in debates, by the way. Because of Proverbs 13, then. Only by pride cometh contention. Where there's contention, there's pride. And I'm not sure we're, we're here to encourage that. And words to no profit only undermines God's work. And that's several places in Paul's letters. Major on the essentials. Don't major on the minors. I love what my wife has hanging in, her, in the lobby of her ministry. That um, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, agape. I think it was attributed to Augustine. I think it's a great, great centerpiece. But this is one of the most important verses, the verse I usually sign when I sign an autograph for whatever reason. I use 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a pregnant verse. There's a lot there. We could spend a whole hour mining what's implied in that verse. Study, of course, means to be diligent, to be zealous, to be a workman. The word itself is a treasure that a steward must guard and invest. It's analogous to the soldier's sword or the farmer's seed. And one of the greatest discoveries that changed my entire life is that the Bible is a well-organized, integral whole. Every detail is designed with the whole in, in view. That's why it has to be studied it's in, in its entirety. Avoid one-verse theology. The only way you'll know your Bible is to know your Bible. Not just your favorite epistle or your favorite book, the whole Bible. It's important to have a, 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 a routine that takes you through the whole Bible repeatedly. Maybe not once a year, but whatever cycle you use is to keep the whole book in view. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word, there is a word that's mistranslated all through your Bible. The word ion, it's a, it, 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 it's often translated world 31 different times. But what it really means is a period or block of time, not world in a geographic sense. It's, it's an age. It's, a, it's a, a, a unit of time. And um, the entire revelation in the Bible respecting the successive ages was lost in view because of this mistranslation. And confusion can result uh, if the, unless you study these different translations very carefully, and there's a whole bunch of them. You go through your notes and do that on your own. But um, the word dispensation is, makes a lot of people nervous. Oikonomia. It's a, it's, it's a term that refers like managing a household or uh, managing your affairs. It's like an administrative period, if you will. And uh, usually involves somebody else's property, like the office of a manager and overseer. Stewardship, administration. That's what the word dispensation means. It's a period of specific rules for stewardship for that particular period. And of course, stewardship is, we're talking here of the divine economy. And uh, so, it's a, basically you have a commitment of God to do certain things under certain rules. You need to understand those rules and where you are in that to really appreciate what's going on. And uh, there is, of course, let's just let's use a few, there is a distinction, of course, between the law and, the, and grace. We have, a, you know, the whole book of Romans hits that very hard, Okay. Covenant theologians, as they're called, are disturbed by the recognition of dispensational distinctions. There's some people that 
uh, just are uncomfortable with that. And uh, even the manifestation of a divine grace becomes one of those disturbing features of truth. And uh, so, if there is only one covenant of grace operating uniformly throughout the entire Bible, what was the apostle referring to when he asserts that the dispensation respecting hitherto unrevealed program is committed to him? Paul makes a big thing of the fact that the period of the church period is uniquely revealed to him in Ephesians 3. How can you deal with that if you think it was always uniform? No, there are different, different rules revealed at different dispensations. What dispensations are we talking about? Well, Genesis 1, we often call that the age of innocence, when Adam and Eve were first created. When you get to Genesis 3, you now have, he's, he's blown, he's got the, what they call the age of conscience. And then when you get to Genesis 8, you have the installation of human government after the flood, where there's, human, there's government responsibilities. When you get to Genesis 12, you have the age of promise, because God intervenes and gives Abraham a unique promise that goes to the end of the, end of the time. You get to Moses, you've got the age of the law, a different set of rules. In fact, in Luke 16 and Matthew 11, they make the point that the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. What closes the Old Testament? John the Baptist, not Malachi, John the Baptist. That leads us to the, the age of, sometimes called the age of grace. That's a very unfortunate label because grace is operative in all of these. A more proper term would be called the age of the church in a very special sense. And then we have, of course, the millennial kingdom, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And seeing that another way, we have the book of Genesis, which starts with the age of innocence to the fall of man, have the age of conscience to the flood, we have the human government from the flood to Abraham, where we have then the promise. Until we get to Moses, then we have the law. And then, of course, Christ fulfills the law for us, and we have the age of the church. And... Uh, when the church is taken out, there's a strain, there, there, and then we, have, well, then we have the kingdom. This is the traditional way of presenting it. Uh, there is a subtle difference that's pointed by some in which they have the same list. They take the promise and the law together, if you will, understandably, but they regard the tribulation that's, that, uh, as a period completing the uh, dispensation of the law until the kingdom. So that, again, is a, a defendable partitioning here. But um, in any case, the idea that there are distinct dispensations and what God is doing in each of those is distinctively different. But it's always by grace. Always by grace. But uh, so, a Abel and Abraham, both, brought little lambs to sacrifice to the Lord, right? Right? How many of you took a lamb to church last Sunday? I hope you didn't. And I throw that in to show you that clearly you realize there's a different dispensation going on now. We could quibble about some of the subtleties of the previous definitions, but clearly uh, what Abraham was doing and what we need to do are distinctively different. It's interesting that in any case, it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And uh, so um, it's very, very interesting that... Uh, Well, I, I'll leave I, I get into something else here. The offering is simply pointed to this consummate act. In all cases, whether it's today or whether it's back then, it all, we always point to the Lamb of God, the cross, if you will. But continuing, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Shun profane and vain babblings. Bible babble. 
See, that can be very vapid. You can learn a lot of Bible verses. It's very empty, vain, open, uh, unless you can apply it to reality, your world. A mild inoculation can make you immune to the real thing. That's what a vaccination is, giving you a little, a mild case of a disease that you build up a resistance to it. Well, the Bible babble can do the same thing. People think they know, but they don't really. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, he mentions a couple of these guys, canker is like gangrene, it spreads and so forth. False doctrine is dangerous. False doctrine multiplies itself. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. You know, it's interesting, in that day, there were some that were teaching the resurrection had already taken place, which means that those that were still living had missed it. And that's exactly the kind of thing that caused Paul to write some letters, 1 Thessalonians for that reason, and then 2 Thessalonians because a forgery was being circulated, giving them a false view of, of that, that they might have missed the rapture and so forth. So you need to understand the background of those letters. I encourage you to make a very specific commitment to study the, the, the context those letters are written in and what they say uh, for that context. And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's crucial to understand. And the two letters to Thessalonia, first and second, are probably the prophetically the most illuminating letters in the New Testament. Moving on here. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Having this seal. What's a seal? It's a mark of authentication, security, ownership. A seal in those days by Rome you wouldn't dare break. And uh, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Israelite that was to, was to use his house as a billboard for the word of God. Did you know that? We are too. How would you advertise the fact that you are a Christian? How do you advertise the fact? You need to, though. That apparently is the part of their thing. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for his master's use, and prepared unto every good work. For a vessel to be usable, it has to be clean. So you want to remember the Christian's bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9. Another memory verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Christian's bar of soap. He continues, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. All the way through we find the term doulos, a bond servant. That's a slave who has no will of his own. He has totally, totally under the command of his master. Going, continue, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, and it'll go on with some other things. Only by bride contention. We covered that before. In meekness, instructing those that uh, oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In other words, you be meekness, not brash, meekness. A servant's purpose is to win souls, not arguments. And uh, I was in a campfire situation with one of our staff members happened to be there, and they're getting into it with one of the leaders of this, this uh, white, rafter, white water rafting thing. And uh, I saw him yield on some arguments. 
And I was intrigued by that because I, then I began to realize what he was doing. He wasn't trying to win the argument. He was trying to win the person to Christ. And so he didn't devastate him with the, his, his machine-like logic. He, he handled it very differently because the goal, he kept his goal in mind, which was not to win the argument, but to win the person for Christ. And I thought I was impressed as I began to realize what was going on there. Of course, now sometimes they say silence is golden, but sometimes it's just yellow, right? We're not talking about that either. Okay, that's the other side of that coin. And they that recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And so there are seven aspects of ministry that, uh, and uh, there's no place for a loafer. We're going to look through those seven aspects here. Seven aspects have gone through this letter so far. To be strong, remember that? To be a worthy workman, not ashamed and so forth. To be faithful, that is, and to endure all things. To study, to rightly divide the word. To avoid vain babblings. To seal and cleanse this vessel of honor. That's you he's talking about. And flee youthful lust. Those are seven aspects that Paul has sort of um, inventoried in this epistle in the uh, first two chapters. So in the next session, we'll read the, the last two chapters of this epistle. And... Uh, so study that for the next session. And uh, we'll stand for a word of prayer. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this dear letter written by Paul in, its mo in, in his moments of extremity. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the counsel. We pray, Father, that you would help each of us to recognize and apprehend that we too are your servants and we too are called in terms of this letter to be faithful stewards of the opportunities to bring before us. We do indeed pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, you would make us effective stewards of your word as we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music